please take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 5. And going to be back in the passage we were in last week. And if you remember back to last week, we took a little bit of an excursus. And uh, this emphasis on signs and wonders. And uh, there's so many questions like, what is that? And so felt like it was important to unpack that a little bit, seek to understand that a little bit. With the understanding then that we would come back uh, this week and unpack the rest of this passage. And I think you probably remember me saying last week when I initially looked at this passage uh, three, whatever it was, weeks ago now in preparation, like, oh, there's just not much here. And as I continued to think about it, maybe part of it is I've had two weeks to think about it, uh, but this passage just continues to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and, um, and, and I think we're going to talk about some of these things. It's actually in a very strategic location between a couple of uh, significant narratives and uh, so I'm excited to, to unpack it a little bit. And uh, my, my hope is that we uh, continue to look at this and, and come away just in awe of, of, of what God has done. And um, a new appreciation for the church and who we are as the church and as the people of God. And I think so often in our culture today, we, we have as Christians this tendency to I don't know, be a little scared. Uh, we're, we feel like we're the ones who are threatened. And I, I want us to walk away from here today understanding this, that we are the threat. We're not threatened. We are the threat. I remember seeing a, a, a quote, I think it was on a, I don't know, I was going to say Pinterest. I don't, I don't do Pinterest. But, uh, uh, and even if I did, I wouldn't admit it. But, um, uh, but I saw this somewhere, and uh, this is, uh, I don't remember it exactly, but this is kind of the variation of it that I want to bring and uh, stick in my mind here this morning. It sticks in my mind this morning for our purposes. But it said something along the lines of it, it was Satan trying to discourage um, uh, someone from following Christ or, you know, in their walk with Christ. And it said something along the lines of Satan was saying, like, if you do this, are you afraid of the storm that's going to come? And the response is uh, it was something along the lines of this. It was I, but I want to change it to we. Um, we are the blood-bought people of God, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God himself with the same power accessible to us that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We are the storm. We are the threats to this kingdom of darkness that we live in. And I think that that is so clearly portrayed here in Acts 5, 12 through 16. So let me read this together and we'll unpack it. Chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever... Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." God, we pray that you would take your word this morning. These words written by Luke so long ago. God, that are still relevant and powerful to this day. 
So God, remind us this morning who we are in Christ, who we are as the church. Help us to see in this passage the power of a spirit unleashed through the ministry of the church and understand that that same power is available to us today. We serve the same God that they served, the same purpose that they had. And I pray we'd leave here today encouraged. We are the church of the living God. We will not be defeated by anyone in this world representing the power of darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a few things by way of, of context. I you know, um, just want to continue to keep a few things before us. Um, one of them is, as, as I was studying this passage, I'm thinking, I already preached this sermon <laughs> back in Acts chapter 2. And I'm reading it and going, man, they're going to think I'm just recycling the same sermon again. And, you know, what do we pay this guy for? But, um, but here's a significant thing, right? This passage in Acts 5, 12 through 16 is a reinforcement of themes that have already been introduced in the book of Acts. And if you read Acts 5, 12 through 16 alongside the end of chapter 2, you almost feel like you're reading the same thing. I'll just make some of the connections for you here. Acts two forty three. Uh, it says, awe came upon every soul as signs and wonders were done among them. Right? That's Acts 5.12. Um, Acts 2.44, they were together. That word together appears three or four times here in, in, at the beginning of the book of Acts. It means unity. It means uh, together in one heart, one mind, present together, but it's also bigger than that. So in 2.44, they're together. Again, here we see the exact same word that they are together. Acts 2.46, they attended the temple together. Solomon's portico, that's where they met. Once again, in Acts 5, they're together in Solomon's portico. Acts 2.47, we read that they have, uh, the, the believers, the church, had favor with the people. We see it here again in this passage, that they had respect and favor among the people. In Acts 4, 32-33, we read that they were of one heart and one soul. Again, it's that same Greek word, together. As they were together, they were testifying with great power. So it, it's, it's already, it's, it's, it's just a cycle. And Luke is bringing it back up again. And, and so here's the thing. Luke is impressing on us the themes regarding the practice and faith and the powerful beginning of the early church. And I think it's also helpful why he's doing this, right? When you think about the biblical writers, when you see repetition of this magnitude in biblical writing, that should clue us in. That was very much a tool that they used to make a point. So when we see this coming up again in almost identical fashion, it is meant to catch our attention, us to go, I think Luke's trying to get us to, to buy into something here. What's he getting us to buy into? I think it's also helpful to go back. Remember, Acts is part of a two-volume work, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Acts, or the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, meant to be read together. We, we know that from chapter 1 of Acts. And we go back to the beginning of Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and remember, he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. And what does he say? I'm writing these things so that you will have certainty. That you will have certainty. So he's using this repetition to continue to encourage Theophilus, and I would say by extension us, to be certain. 
Christ is worth following, and the church is the powerful way through which he continues to unfold his work in the world. These points of emphasis are hammering that into our heads. He wants us to be confident. He wants us to have certainty. He wants us to give our life to this Savior and to this movement that our Savior has unleashed in the world. Here's another thing when we think of the context of this passage. Satan, as uh, John unpacked a few weeks ago, had already made an attempt to disrupt the church through the whole Ananias and Sapphira fiasco. Right? And, and Peter is tuned into this, because remember he says in verse 3 to Ananias, he says, why is it that Satan has entered your heart to do this thing? Right? This was Satan making an attempt to disrupt the church's ministry. And what we are reading here in verses 12 through 16 is basically a summary on Luke's part saying that it failed miserably. Right? Luke clearly reasserts the church as the powerful, effective means through which Christ is working out his plan. In fact, what we read here is not only did the attempt of Satan through Ananias and Sapphira to derail the church, not only did it not work, but we see the church here actually is more powerful and more effective than ever. He uses the terminology, many signs and wonders being done. In verse 14, catch this, he uses terminology, it's comparative, more than ever souls were coming to Christ. More than ever. Satan's attempt failed miserably. It didn't work. The other thing is you look ahead, and where we're going next week, is not only do you have that opposition passage before these events, you actually have this as kind of a hinge point between another opposition text. Falls right in the middle. Ananias and Sapphira, the, effect, uh, the attempt of Satan. And then right after this passage, you have the persecution against the church ramping up. The church here in Acts 5 has got the enemy's attention. The church has gotten the attention of the kingdom of darkness. The statement that closes this section on, uh, for today about unclean spirits being defeated, Luke is communicating something. This is about spiritual warfare. The church is clearly growing as a threat to the kingdom of darkness. That's why the persecution that ramps up in verse 17 is not surprising at all. The church is a problem. We are a problem to Satan. The church is a threat, and he knows it. And the Ananias and Sapphira thing didn't work, so now he's going to ramp up the persecution against the church because you are a problem. The church is a problem. So here's kind of the, the big idea the summary statement. Instead of being defeated by Satan's attack through Ananias and Sapphira, the church continues to emerge as a powerful threat to the kingdom of darkness. Someone asked me recently, what's the, what's the biggest thing you want, would like to improve on in your sermon? And I said, I think I just need to continue to expand my illustration library because I have these things I always kind of fall back on. With apology, I'm going to fall back on one of them right now. Not Lord of the Rings or World War II, but, um, but uh, football, right? Always a good one. Uh, this is Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski is now retired. He was a tight end, played most of his career for the New England Patriots. Uh, when Tom Brady uh, signed with Tampa Bay, Gronkowski came out of retirement to go play with Tom Brady for a couple more years in Tampa Bay. 
Whenever you watch uh, those teams play, and they would talk about offensive and defensive matchups, one of the ways they often referred to Tom Gronkowski was this, that he is a problem and a nightmare for defensive coordinators. And here's why. Tom, uh, Rob Gronkowski is uh, six foot six, and he weighs 265 pounds. That's a big dude. The average defensive back in the NFL this past season was six feet tall, and the average weight was 193 pounds. Your heaviest defensive back in the NFL this past year was 215 pounds. So not the linebackers, but the cornerbacks, the defensive backfield. Okay? Do the math. And a good quarterback, like Brady, what they were able to do is at the line of scrimmage to be able to read a defense and have Gronk go out to a place where they're putting one of these 195-pound guys who's six feet up against him. That generally doesn't end well for the little guy. (laughs) And that's what Gronkowski was able to do. He's able to go out and basically box them out Hold them down with one hand while he caught the football with the other one, you know, and, and, and he was a problem. We're a problem. We're, this is us. Here's Satan, right? And he's, and he's a viable enemy, right? I mean, he made it to the NFL, so he's good and he's talented at what he does, but he's no match for the church. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against you, right? We're a problem. Why? Let's talk about some things. Why is the church a threat? Why is the church a problem? How is the church a threat to the kingdom of darkness? Number one, the church is a threat because it is a supernatural and powerful movement. I want to emphasize the supernatural part of that. Right? I'm going to spend a lot of time on it, but we unpacked this last week. Right? The signs and wonders of Acts remind me that this thing was not started by a human. Right? God did this. The church is significant because of who founded it. It has meaning and purpose because God founded it for a reason. And the fact that God founded it is is validated by the signs and wonders. Our beginning was validated by the supernatural. We are birthed out of a supernatural God. We're not birthed out of the schemes of men. Therefore, I will not be discouraged by the times when I feel weak and insignificant in this world. I will not be discouraged, or let me say, we will not and should not be discouraged by reading the news feed or walking the streets of our cities where it seems like God and the church are so weak in the face of the cultural forces around us and the worldly powers surrounding us. That's why we don't fret when a presidential election comes and goes and the person we thought was going to be the savior of our country doesn't get elected. We don't fear that. We just read, I will not fear the war. Why? Because we are birthed in something above this world. We're the problem. The world's not. We're the force representing God. Here's another application of this. Because the church is birthed in the supernatural, because this was God's intent and God's design, I can't simply dismiss it as something man-made and discard it and give it a low priority in my life. I must join in a mission that was instigated and validated by God himself. Right? It's the church I grew up in. It's South Swansea Baptist Church. And probably like most students, I spent enough of my time thinking that this church... And this family, right? And that's really not the church. There's the people there. That's just the building, but it represents that to me, right? 
I remember thinking, this is boring. This is insignificant. This 150-year-old building is not as cool as the mall. <laughs> this isn't exciting. This isn't this. This isn't that. You know, though, over time, in that building, around those people, that's where I learned about the gospel. And that's where I learned about the grace of God. And that's where I saw people faithfully living out their faith Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. So I saw godliness in action. The people of God. And I'm so thankful that over time, I learned that it wasn't a waste. Church isn't a waste. Church isn't boring. It's where God does his work. Carrie read Ephesians today, Ephesians 5. It's one of the most astounding passages in Scripture to me. Through the church, the wisdom of God will be made manifest to the forces of darkness. Through the church. I don't know. God didn't ask me, so it's probably a good thing. But if it was up to me, I think I would have chosen something a lot cooler and spectacular to befuddle the princes of darkness than this. Than this, <laughs> right? A bunch of sinners, weak people. We annoy each other. We frustrate each other. We fail. <laughs> and we're the church. It's where God is. This is what God is using to accomplish his purposes. It's not man-made. It's not boring. It's not insignificant. It's church. Supernatural beginning. <laughs> we have value, we have worth, we have power. Church is also a threat when it ministers among outsiders. This is the key word in verse 12. The signs and wonders were regularly done where? Among the people. The activity of the church and the apostles was visible to the outsiders. They ministered in the midst of the Jewish people, not just in their cloistered communities. The song I loved when I was a kid, uh, Steve Camp. Anyone in here? Steve Camp? No, remember? Thanks, Pete. I, love, I have some people I can depend on with the old school Christian contemporary music. Steve Camp was one of those guys. He had this song called Run to the Battle. And I, I love that song. And the opening lines of that song were, uh, some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. Right? The point of that song is, like, we love it here where we're comfortable and we come and we worship and we feel good and we're inspired and we're built up and we see our friends. And that's all important. But if that's all that we are, and the extent of our Christianity and ministry in this world happens within these walls. We are failing. We are effective. We are a threat when we take what God gives us within these walls and we bring it out there. That is what we are called to do. A question that was asked one time, and it's haunted me, is this. If we suddenly were gone from this community, and I don't just mean like this building and, and this gathered group. I mean, that's, that's the gist of it. But then even us as, as believers, as we work and go to Forest Hill Central and Northern, and as we work in the places around here, and if we were suddenly gone as the church from Forest Hills, would people even notice? 
Would we even be missed? Would we, would our, would, would they like, oh, they're not here meeting this need in the community. They're not here doing this. Now, I, I think, I think Olivia's gift would miss us. And, uh, Lincoln School. And, and many of you involved in other places and volunteering places, which is, it's good. That's, that's part of it. Uh, and, and you would be missed. But to what extent would we be missed? Are we showing up in our community? Are we engaging? And again, I hope this came across last week. That was kind of the point, right? In order for the signs to be effective, I must be among those who need to see the signs. I must be among those who need to hear the good news, right? I can be among them without the signs, or I can have the signs but not be among them, but those have to be together in order for me to be a threat, in order for us to be effective. Imagine the rummage sale, which I love, right? I just lied in church. Dan, I lied in church. That's that's bad. But imagine if we did all that work for the rummage. This would really annoy me. We did all that work. We set it up, and Saturday morning, nobody came. Like, why do people come? Facebook Marketplace, social media, we advertise. We put the big old sign out here, Live, all these places, right? We advertise it. If we didn't advertise it, you know, we, we could sit there, we could set it all up, and then we could all just sit together as a youth group and go, like, oh, isn't this fun? And we can enjoy all the things in there. We could, we could all dress up like the kids do on Friday night. We all dress up, and they get these pictures with these funny props. We're like, hey, let's do that for the next four hours on Saturday. Like, that would be fun. Let's order pizza. We can have pizza while we dress up. And let's go play with some of the toys, right? And, like, yeah, we can enjoy that all. But, but the, the rubber still is going to be worthless if we don't advertise it and have people... See it and hear it and, and contribute to it. But so many times like, we're like that, right? Like, well, let's be here and, and, and it's warm and cozy and comfortable and, and it feels good and th- that's good. I, I'm glad it's that. But again, it, it, it's like not advertising for the Roman sale. We, we just, we don't fulfill our purpose if we don't take it out there, right? Our mission is to be among. That's when we're a threat, the church is a threat when it faithfully gathers as a corporate community. The church is a threat when it faithfully gathers as a corporate community. Gathering together contributes to the church's power, its influence, and its threat. I think of a fire, right? When uh, wilderness or whatever, we're kind of trying to get a fire to die down. What do you do to try to get a fire to die down besides pouring water on it? You kind of spread it out. Right? If, I want, if I want the fire to get you know, higher, I, I push it together. We're trying to cook dinner at night and boil the water. You're, you're pushing all that together underneath there to concentrate that heat. Right? We're just like that. Right? We're like those logs or whatever. You, you start separating us, and we may have fire for a little, way, a little bit, but that, that fire's going to start to die out. We're going to be a dying ember. When we're together, you push that together, that, that's where we're ignited. That's where the flame burns hottest. It's a great example of why the church together uh, matters. They were all together in Solomon's portico. Uh, this word all together, it's the same word that we see in chapter 1, verse 14, that, that uh, says there with the same mind. I think that they here in verse 12 is referring to the whole church and the apostles, given the context of what we've already established in Luke Solomon's portico was the main known location of their gatherings. So again, the gathered church matters. This was a hallmark and priority of the early church. We preached on that. I preached on this a few weeks ago. So you might get tired of, of hearing this, of this getting hammered in. Well, blame Luke. 
Because here he is, he's writing about it again. You cannot read Acts and ignore the significance of the church gathered. And we also know from the context of Luke that what Luke means when he writes the, the word together, okay, it doesn't mean, just mean this. It means spirit, mind, unity. That's what that Greek word means. It's not just sitting in here for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. That has come so foreign to what Luke meant when he used that word and when he referred to the church gathered, the church together in the book of Acts. Sunday morning only does not reflect the orientation that the Acts believers had toward the church. It's about doing life together. You have to move beyond just showing up on Sunday morning. This is not enough. It's good. It's part of it. We have to be in each other's lives. We have to have relational connects and transformation that comes from those relational connects. Right? And listen, we have to continue to do better as a church, providing those opportunities and providing on-ramps, helping you know what comes next, helping you know here's where you can get connected. We're continuing to work on that. We acknowledge that. I admit that. We're not always the best at that. That has to matter. It has to be important, the church gathered. We're a threat when we draw from the church gathered. Next, the church is a threat when it isn't about entertainment, accommodation, or shallow Christianity. You say, where in the world did you get that point from this passage? It's not in here. Hey, stay with me. Verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. None of the rest dared join them. What does that mean? I think the rest, there's, 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 there's questions and, and the interpretation is, is who, who, are, who are some of these, who's the rest? Who does that refer to? And who does this refer to? That, you know, who does they, them in verse 13? Um, just let me give you the short of it. Here's what I see here. Uh, I think the rest is referring to the general populace. I think, it's, I think what you have here is you have this group of committed people led by the apostles, and the rest are those who are not part of the committed group led by the apostles. And it, and it says they, they, they dared not join them. The word join here, um, some would say that, that, that's, that's, uh, that's talking about becoming Christian. I, it's not what the word join here. The, the, the most common use of this word join, I think how, uh, how Luke is using it here, refers to uh, uh, drawing near or approaching. It's most often used in a geographical sense, personal proximity. In other words, what he's saying is that the general public, those who weren't all in, they approached the church with great caution. They kept themselves at a safe distance. So since this word join, since I don't believe it's referring to conversion, I don't, it's in no way a contradiction. Because if you're, if you're paying attention, you're going to read, well, wait a minute, because in verse 14, we see that people were joining. Well, it's two different concepts. Okay? And it's not a contradiction. The word join here is just a cautious approach to the church. What we see in verse 14 is people coming to Christ. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But here, here's where I get this point. Why weren't people willing to join them? The word dare, the word dare indicates a, a courage, a boldness, being brave enough. Why didn't they dare? Why weren't they brave enough or bold enough to jump in with the church, to treat it with caution? Three things that happened in the context of this passage. Number one, you had the apostles arrested and threatened, right? They'd been arrested, they'd been threatened. People knew about that. 
Number two, you had this judgment against Ananias and Sapphira, where God judged them. Sin was called out. They were judged. And earlier in that passage, you remember John talked about this back in the beginning of chapter 5. Everyone knew about it, both insiders and outsiders, and it said fear came upon both insiders and outsiders as they observed that. So you had a threat, you had sin dealt with, and then you're having these signs and wonders going on. Now again, remember what we talked about last week, these signs and wonders taking place here. It wasn't just a dog and pony show. It wasn't just like, come see these cool tricks that the pastor's doing. So you come to church and people are like, oh, that's cool, I'm going to come back next week, like the circus, Right? No, true signs and wonders point to the authority and power of God. And I suggest when we as a church, when you're truly pointing to the authority and power of God, that is intimidating to the unsaved. You're dealing with God. The church was manifesting a few different things here. I think that they were giving an accurate portrayal of what it is to follow Christ, of what it is to be part of the movements. See, we read the books, I read these books, and, I, and I'm reading them going, oh, okay, I get it. If, I, if we want to make church popular, if we want people to come in here today, we got to make the best worship band ever. This has got to be like a concert. And we got to have like the best coffee, in the, and Jake would agree, but it's a, we got to have the best coffee, right, in, in the hub, and maybe some food, and, and we got to have this program, and this, this, and this. And then, and then we got to take our message. We got to be a little bit less confrontational. Talk about sin a little bit less. Be a little more affirming. And we do all that. Then we're doing church right. That's not what I read here. This church is portraying an image of this is going to cost you something. There is tension now. There is tension. This movement is not in favor with the powers that be. Associating with them may cost me. Maybe I should. This church calls out sin. Ooh, I don't like that. Right? This church was not shallow. You looked at these believers, you looked at this gathered church, and you understood that this was a heavy thing, where the glory of God was being manifest. People are like, well, better count the costs. Right? Jesus said this, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, few there be that find it. Jesus preached a couple times and people walked away. Revelation 1 through 4, the message to the churches. Why is the message to the church in Revelation at the beginning? Continue on. There's, there's a danger of people falling away. Why? Because of the allure of Babylon, because the pressure is too great from the world. And you're going to be like, I'm going to take the easy way. But the true church of God is going to present the gospel and the way we live our lives in a way like, yeah, no, this, this does cost something. Consider the cost. Makes me wonder what will happen someday if persecution ever does take hold and we can't have the cool lights anymore and the cool sound systems and, and the coffee. We have to actually meet and it may cost us something. I think you may see church attendance decrease a little bit because what has drawn people to Christ has not been the power of the gospel and awareness of the true glory of God. Some shallow. They saw it here, and it proved some caution. G.K. Chesterton said this, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. Uh, Schnabel, I forget his first name here, was one of the commentators of the book of Acts. Churches that focus on entertaining people have degenerated from places of divine presence to places of human soliloquy. Instead of being dialogue with God, people have a monologue with themselves. 
The early church made it about God. If you're going to do this, jump in with us. It's awesome. It's the best. Come find the grace of God. But also understand what you're signing up for. This is clear in the early church. The church is a threat when its conduct adorns the gospel. Right? It's again here we see that in spite of the caution people approach the church with, they still had a healthy respect for the church. All right, we talked about this last week. That's the point of this passage, 1 Peter 2.12. You can have a healthy respect for something and still not like it at all. Right? So that's what's going on here. The people held them in high esteem. The way they conducted themselves still caught people's attention. Right? This is uh, Keith Jones. I thought of Keith when I was reading this. You know, you hear, you're hearing the stories of, of there in Italy, and as they're going through this process of trying to acquire their property, isn't it astounding that the, the government officials were like on Keith's side? These people don't know Jesus, but they understand that well, this man is the real deal, and this church is a good thing in our community, right? I thought of Keith, uh, the Hospital of Hope there in Togo. When Todd died, the, the amount of people, government officials coming to, to Todd's funeral why? Because may, they may not buy into the message, but they're like, those people are the real deal. Right? I had a neighbor here a couple weeks ago, wanted to bring his son. He found out we had basketball here on Monday nights. Wanted to bring his son here to play basketball. So we're texting back and forth, and then he texted me, and he, he's like, hey, are you going to be there? I said, no, I'm not going to be there, but here's what I want you to do. When you get there, look for James. Right? For James Hardman. I love it that I can say this, because I knew. You find James, I knew, I knew James would represent Christ well, would represent the church well. I knew that James would welcome this guy and they'd have a good experience. I loved it that I could just say, go look for James. I get a text halfway through the night. This dad stayed while his son played basketball. I get a text and he was like, dude, this is awesome. My son needs to be around guys like this. I was like, that's it. That's the gospel adorned. Seeing guys interact the right way. Watching James Hardman. Right? That's it. Think of Olivia's funeral. People come in who don't know Christ, and they're just gushing over like, wow, this church just loves us. Thanks for caring us. Thanks for valuing um, our kids. They couldn't believe it. And we unapologetically proclaimed the gospel that day. But they still saw love, right? Roman Emperor, Emperor Julian, he was trying to revive the, uh, the mystery religions in Rome. And he wrote this. Atheism, they, they considered Christians as atheists. Uh, because they could, you couldn't see our God. Right? You could see all their gods. They had the, the, you know, they had the statue. Remember Paul and, and uh, you know, walking around Mars Hill and here's the statue to this God, statue to this God. And, and, and so the, the Romans, uh, you guys are atheists. You don't have a real God. We can't, we can't see it. There's no manifestation of it, right? So they referred to Christians as atheism. So uh, that's what Julian's referring to. The Christians, Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal. There is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that godless Galileans care not only for their own poor but for ours as well. While those who belong to us, to Rome, look in vain for the help that we should render them. This is a frustrated man. I'm trying to start the, I can't compete with Christianity because they're living it out. They're caring for their own poor and they're caring for ours. 
right? This was a threat. Christianity was a problem to Rome. I can't get our false religions restarted because the Christians are stealing our thunder. We're a threat. We're a problem. When we adorn the gospel and people see Jesus lived out in us, Satan can't compete with that. That's a problem for the enemy, right? Point people to Jesus by the way we live. We adorn the gospel. Church is a threat because God builds it. Note the passive language in verse 14. More than ever, believers were added. Right? Peter and John weren't doing the adding. The believers were being added. That's passive. Who's doing the adding? God. Right? God is doing this. Again, go back to the prayer of chapter 4, verse 30. We pray that the word will boldly proclaim while you stretch out your hand and do signs and wonders. This was God's doing. This is God's work. This is why you can have people looking at the gospel presentation and, what the, and like being like a little bit standoffish about it and still come to Christ. Because when the church just boldly proclaims the truth and lives the way it's supposed to live, God is going to work through that and God is going to draw people to himself. So we don't worry about watering down the message to attract people. We boldly proclaim the message. We draw our lines in the sand. We say this is who we are. We say this is what God requires of us. And we let God do with that what he will. And I promise you, he will do something with that. God added to them there's this comparative language here. I alluded to this at the beginning. More than before, people were coming to Christ. You keep in mind, you look back in chapter 2, verse 41, there's some numbers for us, right? 3,000 people had come to Christ there. In chapter 4, verse 4, there's a record of 5,000 people coming to Christ. So just those two instances, you have 8,000 people coming to Christ. And they're saying, more than before, after Satan entered Ananias and Sapphira and tried to derail the church, more than ever, people are coming to Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. You are a problem if you boldly proclaim God's word and live out his power in your life. Love that. God will build his church. We just do our part faithfully, and he will build it. The church is a threat when it brings healing to our sin-cursed world. All right? See the power of God working through Peter? There's shadow, but remember, Peter and John and, and, and Luke writing this have already attributed all of the signs, all that miraculous to the power of Jesus Christ. Right? The church was just doing its part, reaching out to the world, among the world, and God was working through that. But here's the thing, right? The church was a medium of healing for the world. Now, how God manifests that healing and that power, you know, we talked about this last week, change from context to context. So we may not see, you know, laying hands on and seeing people get up and, 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 and casting out a demon and stuff, but we still are an agent of healing to the world. And I ask you today, are, are you an agent of healing? Are you bringing healing to those around you? Can people come to you and know that they'll find truth? There's a couple of different categories of healing that, 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 that Luke talks about. There's, there's the physical healing here, but there's also this healing of unclean spirits. And again, while I, I don't believe that's something we go hunting for today, right? That, that's a power that 
we, we don't go looking for. Um, I've seen it one time. I saw a demon possession one time. I never want to see it again. Ever, 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 ever. Right? So we don't go looking for that. But what this text tells us and reminds us of is this. And what we have inside of us is more powerful than that. Right? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We bring healing. And note the terminology used to describe the people. They were harassed. They were afflicted. That's the people around us. So we look at them and remember that they are not our enemies. Okay? People are not our enemies. They are harassed and they are afflicted. We're to bring the truth of God to them. We are to bring healing through the gospel. We are conduits. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And we bring that healing to the world. We're a threat to the enemy. We're a threat. Who are you bringing healing to? The sum of all of this is found right here. I'm going to ask Tom to come on up. As all of these things were true of the church, this passage right here ends with a statement. People outside of Jerusalem, the towns outside of Jerusalem, began to bring people to them for healing. What's the area outside of Jerusalem called? What's that region called? Well, before that, it's Judea. Sound familiar? Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. Something's going on here. The gospel is now making a move outside of the walls of Jerusalem. It's a threat. Satan sees this unfolding. Close with this quote, and we'll close with the song. It's Al Mohler. He writes this, You may imagine how some Christians might have thought that no one would join the church once word had gotten out of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. But the church is not built on marketing strategies or pragmatic advertisement schemes or feel-good programs. The church is built on the power of God's word and spirit. Persecution, fear, and negative reports could not keep God's spirit from saving sinners and bringing them to Jesus. We should never look for alternative means to spread the gospel that downplay the centrality of God's word or undermine the truth about his judgment or his salvation. You go out from here today in full confidence of who you are, the church to the living God. And you go from here and you'll be a problem. Not to your bosses, or you'll be a problem to the enemy. Continue to be that threat to him by the way you live and what you proclaim. Amen? Amen.